Well, hello. My name's Mark. I'm senior minister here, and I have the honour of speaking to you today from God's Word. Uh, a second reading today is unique to Matthew's Gospel. The visit of the Magi and the fear and brutality of Herod are not mentioned in the other three Gospels, and ha historians haven't found any reference to them outside the Bible. Many suggest these events didn't happen. However, we see in other sources this Herod had a reputation for extreme brutality. Uh, he had many people killed, including members of his own family. Based on the average size of Judean uh, towns at the time, uh, they might have been 30 or so male boys under two in the Bethlehem region. And while the thought of them being killed sounds horrific to us, it was not out of character for Herod. It may simply have gone unreported among all his other atrocities. So the question is, why did Matthew choose to include these events in the biography of Jesus when Mark, Luke and John didn't? Obviously, our nativity pageants and carols would be poorer without the Magi. But that hardly explains why Matthew included them. One possibility is that Matthew wanted to show Jesus as a type of Moses, and that's why we had the first reading today. Uh, if you recall, Pharaoh was worried about the growth of numbers of Israelite slaves in Egypt. So he decided to reduce the threat their numbers posed by killing the children. So there is a similarity there. Uh, and Moses, of course, rescued his people from slavery in Egypt a bit like the way that Jesus would rescue his people from slavery to sin and death. Uh, a common feature of Matthew's Gospel is the way he shows the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus and Jesus as the fulfilment of many of the Old Testament prophecies. So the link with Moses may explain why Matthew included these two stories. But there's another view that makes a fair bit of sense as well, although it is rather more confronting. That is that Matthew was suggesting that there is a little bit of Herod in each one of us. Many people then and now are a bit like Herod as they don't want Jesus as king. Many people don't like the idea that anyone should be king, and that includes people within the church. They're happy to go through the rituals of worship and, and sing the songs that we've just sung about Jesus being king, but not actually let Jesus be king of their lives. And I'll return to this a little bit later. But there is another question. Why did Herod have to fear, what did Herod have to fear from a child born to a single woman and a commoner? This Herod was Herod the Great. Not his son Herod Antipas, who stood on the sideline while Pontius Pilate condemned Jesus to death, and not the grandson Herod, who questioned Paul at the end of the book of Acts, but Herod the Great. And you only get that sort of title if you are pretty powerful. Herod the Great was not a Jew. His father was Idumean from Jordan, and his mother was from Arabia. The Romans had made him king of Edomir in 40 BC, 
and later extended them uh, to include Judea, the area around Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Herod was generally thought of as an unscrupulous tyrant. He was a great builder and was responsible for rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. Herod had probably not heard of the visits of the angels to Mary and Joseph announcing the miraculous pregnancy, but he had heard of the account of the Magi, and that was enough for him to take notice. Although not ethnically a Jew, Herod had ruled Judea long enough to know that how seriously the people took their scriptures. The promise of a Messiah, a king, went back at least a, hundred, a thousand years to the promise God had made to King David through the prophet Nathan. It had been confirmed and developed through later prophets. So when Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Herod got a bit worried. He was king and he didn't want competition. The Magi were probably some sort of astrologers as they tried to read signs from the stars. But the traditional reference to them as wise men works because they went looking for a king. And when they found him, they worshipped him. And that's a pretty wise thing to do. We don't know where they got the idea that a star would point to the birth of a Jewish king and why they would travel so far to worship him. But it made sense to head west to Jerusalem, the capital and centre of Jewish worship. The contrast Matthew presents to us is fascinating. King Herod the Great wanted to kill the threat. Gentile astrologers wanted to worship this newborn child. In this, Matthew shows the trajectory God had planned. From Abraham through Moses and David, promises been made that would result in a king who would reign in justice and truth and would reign forever. And through him, all nations would be blessed. Gentiles would be gathered to enjoy this blessing, including Gentiles like the Magi and us. When King Herod heard of this threat, he called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them, where this king, the Messiah, was to be born? They replied, quoting a 700-year-old prophecy from Micah that the child had been born in Bethlehem in Judea. That prophet had written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And then the character of Herod is revealed. He met the Magi in secret, presumably because he wanted to both play down the astonishing news and because he didn't want to reveal the danger baby Jesus was in. He asked the Magi, go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Herod, of course, had no intention to worship this newborn king. Somehow the star led the Magi southeast to Bethlehem, which was only a few kilometres away. But we get the sense that God was leading them to the place where they would find the child they'd travelled so far to find. And then they did what we're doing tonight. 
They bowed down and worshipped the newborn king, the newborn child. Again, the contrast is stark. These international travellers bearing their rich gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, and a tradie and a young mother in modest house, probably belonging to one of Joseph's relatives, staying in the part where the animals usually spent the night. We're not given any indication of the reaction of Mary and Joseph. Perhaps they were just exhausted, as new parents often are. Or perhaps the visits from the angels had prepared them in some way for the unexpected. But for Matthew, the focus is on the fulfilment of God's prophecies and the worthiness of this worship, and that God would protect this child. God gave the Magi the dream in which they were told to not go back to Herod, but to return home by another route. But what did Herod the Great have to fear from this child born in humble circumstances, even if he was supposed to be a king? I can't think of any supreme ruler who has not feared that their power may be taken away. Both Hitler and Stalin were paranoid about opposition and had constant fears about assassination. President Xi seems to spend a lot of effort removing potential opposition to his dictatorship and lashing out at upstart nations like Australia. How dare we not bow down and worship the Chinese Communist Party and its great leader? But it's hard to see any of the dictators of the recent past being scared of a newborn child, just one. Unless they feared that this child could destabilise their hold on power. I'm told the Chinese Communist Party has, even, has every intention to oppose its own choice of successor to the Dalai Lama. We have no firm evidence that Herod thought this child was the long-awaited Messiah. He may have ordered the killing of all the boys in Bethlehem who were under two, just to make sure that no group who opposed his corrupt and murderous rule would use him as a figurehead to gain support. As it turned out, Jesus was no threat at all to Herod. He died while Jesus was an infant. But ironically, Herod was right. Jesus was the biggest threat to the ways of this world that the leaders like Herod will ever face. Whether they be ruthless dictators or mild electric, uh, elected bureaucrats who think mainly of their re-election, Jesus is both greater than any of them and undermines their pretensions and worldviews. Herod wasn't right morally to want Jesus dead, and he wasn't right morally to kill any of the young boys of Bethlehem. But Herod was right that Jesus posed a threat like none other that corrupt, selfish leaders would always face. When Mao Zedong had effective control over all China except Taiwan. He outlawed all religions. Missionaries were expelled. Millions of Christians were persecuted. Probably millions died in the Great Leap Forward, the Cultural Revolution, and the systematic repression of churches. The church went underground. And then when Mao died for a while, there was a reprieve. 
From the 1980s, the Christians who had survived the persecution gradually came out. House churches developed. And while the Catholic Church was carefully controlled because of loyalties that Catholics owe to the Pope, small Protestant churches could meet. For a while, some in power thought that having Christians in the economy may actually help Chinese, uh, China's economic transformation. Uh, and I was involved in some of this. The Protestant work ethic encouraged hard work and taught that God had given authority to secular powers. But then the good news of King Jesus spread like wildfire. A million grew to 10 million and then maybe 100 million. There were projections that within a couple of decades, there could be 400 million Christians in China. So the new repression came. Pastors were thrown into jail. Authorised churches were required to include patriotic songs and preach a gospel with socialist values, which wouldn't be so bad if its focus was on social welfare and justice. But in China, it effectively meant one's loyalty had to be first to the party and to the nation and not to God. The party would be king. Why? For the same reason that Herod tried to kill Jesus because of the light of the world was coming, into the, uh, was coming into the world. And where the light of Jesus shines, it overcomes darkness. And he is the only true king. Every other is a pretender. For all the dark days under Herod, there came a time when Jesus walked the dusty roads of Israel, healing the sick and uplifting the poor, welcoming in the outcast showing God's wisdom and preaching his gospel of salvation. He was the good shepherd, the good king of the people. And as we see, nothing can stop Jesus. Herod's murderous plans couldn't. God warned the Magi in a dream, so Jesus' actual birthplace was not revealed to Herod. God protected Jesus and his family by sending them an angel to direct them to find refuge in Egypt. And when Herod had died, God spoke to Joseph in a dream and warned him to avoid Herod's successor and find safety in the Galilean backwater of Nazareth. In the years of Jesus' ministry, he faced opposition, death threats, and finally death. But none of them could stop God's plan that he bring salvation for all who wanted it. Yet the teaching of the Bible is that the source of evil in the world is not confined to nasty, corrupt rulers. It is in every human heart. It's in my heart. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus was not commanding us to reject our families. He was calling for our allegiance to him to be so strong that it makes all our other commitments look weak in comparison. He was claiming absolute authority 
and unconditional loyalty from us. And as we come here tonight to worship Jesus as King, as our Lord, it only makes sense if we do it with unconditional loyalty. At the core of the human heart is the impulse that says, no one tells me what to do. This impulse is is strong in me. We are very good at concealing this, even from ourselves. Some of us can appear as, as team players, kind and loving. But Jesus so often showed how deep the rivers of self-centeredness, self-righteousness and self-absorption run. We want to be masters of our own fates, to be true to ourselves. And that means there is a little King Herod in each one of us. I'm not saying that my nine-month-old grandson, who is at home at the moment, he's come up from Canberra and we're really looking forward to having his first Christmas with us, I'm not saying that he is there yet. But we learn from all those around us and he will face the challenges we all face. Although he will be brought up in a Christian home, he will grow up with many influences around him saying, go your own way, be true to yourself, In effect, be your own king. People push back at this and say, but aren't there millions of sincere Christians all around the world? And it's not for me to judge others. But so often we want the things that God gives, love, help, strength, forgiveness, happiness. But we don't want God himself. Many people leave the faith because they're not getting what they want. And others of us seek God as we want him, not as he is. We like God's call of generosity and holiness when it applies to other people, but not so much when it applies to us. The potential to resist the kingship of Jesus will be with us until the end of this age. When Jesus returns and we get perfect souls and perfect bodies. So there is good news here. That is what lies ahead if we are totally loyal to Jesus. The challenge is for us to see this potential, this potential to want to be our own king and to call on the power of God in us by his Holy Spirit to know that and to let Jesus be king of our lives. To let Jesus expose our self-centeredness and let Jesus guide us in his ways. For despite what we do and what we think, we are forgiven. And Jesus will help us. When we took the words of that confession to our lips, we know that we are forgiven. And the thing is, so what? So that we live with Jesus as our King. Jesus will help us as no one else can to be intentional about our Christian lives and intentional about our obedience to our King. Perhaps the best thing we can do this Christmas is to look inward and be honest about the little Herod in each one of us. Let us not try to be our own King. Let us allow Jesus to be King of our lives And if we do that, 
that will not only be a great present for ourselves, but also good for all the people around us. And it will be the worship that Jesus, our King, truly deserves. And let it not be like a New Year's resolution, that once we bust it, we give up entirely. Each day is a new day to try to live with Jesus as our King. And as many of those that we can manage in the next 365 days until we meet again, we'll make it a year to remember, a year worth living. I thank you for joining me here tonight to thank God for the birth of our newborn King. And let us bow down before him and worship him with our lives. Amen.